And not only today, but I don't know if you remember, Brandon, last week when Ryan was teaching, he had a, a vest, just an empty vest. And now yeah. we have the man himself, Al, over there, still in a vest, still rocking it. In that it. vest. Looking good. <laughs> Looking good, Al. Well, Ryan, Ryan is a wannabe, but let's face it. <laughs> He can't rock the vest to your middle age. You know what I'm saying? You got to have the cover. So one of the things I enjoy about our live stream every week is wondering what hairdo Brandon's going to show up in. Yes. Uh, Yes. So last week, it's Captain Caveman, right? It's all over the place. You got the beard. And Harley, you're the the hair expert. Is this a man bun, a samurai? Um, What are we we calling this? I don't, a twisted something? I don't, do-do-do. It it looks good, no matter... (laughs) I, it, I look, it looks great. It, keep, thank you, Al. Yeah, thank, keep telling thank yourself you. that, Brandon. Uh, so I, I brought some bling here today. Um, I thought I might wear it. You know, Trent was kind of famous for rings, right? Had one on his thumb and another one on his pinky. So we get a close-up of that, uh, Kyle. So, uh, Ryan, I know you're watching at home. This is called a championship ring. Uh Miami got one, like when you were in college, uh, so I know you'd appreciate that. I, all I need, Ron, is four more, one for each hand, then I got saving, right? So there you go. I'm just going to leave that right there for everybody to admire. So that's my, that's my bling for today. Now, this audience is kind of wild because you, it's just like a Biden rally. There's only 30 people here, and they're all on my left. Uh, hey, but we got Scott Stewart on the Trump train over here on the right. I don't know why we're so off balance, but we are. So there's a, a video that, uh, that I want you guys to see, and uh, it's very touching. It's a great ministry, so check this out. a great video. <laughs> Maybe we'll see it one day. I'll just tell you about it. So we have a ministry here called Embrace Grace uh, that's very near and dear to, uh, to my and Lisa's heart. Um, Dawn Smith is the one that leads it. Uh, Tony Bowler is working with her. They're going to be meeting here on Wednesday nights at 630. And by the way, you can go to YouTube and type in Embrace Grace and you get to see the video that we weren't able to. Oh, you got it? Now, don't leave me hanging again, boys. Is this for real? is going through it alone. Help us save babies and mommies by starting a support group at your church. So, um, 
it's a powerful thing to be able to walk alongside someone uh, who gets news that's life-changing. And uh, i got to be honest with you, I mean, when I was younger, um, I, I kind of viewed situations like this, I think, more like a Pharisee uh, than like Jesus does. And that's why I love this ministry so much is because a life is to be celebrated. No matter what happened to create that life, once life is there, we should celebrate it, we should fight for it, and we should walk alongside those who uh, who are in this situation. So that's what we're doing as a church. Uh, it's a great ministry, Embrace Grace. Lisa and I spent time with the, the lady that started it. We have one right here, Wednesday nights at 6.30. So if you're obviously in this situation, we want you to be there. But even if you know someone, someone in our community, uh, send them here. Uh, we want to walk alongside them uh, and embrace grace. So it's a great ministry. All right, we got our scripture reader video. We got it queued up and ready to go. I think we got Abby Hyde. That was a well-worn Bible. Uh, I like that. That's really good. That means someone is, is reading the Word. Thank you, Abby, for that. So uh, if you'll be turning your Bibles to John chapter 6 uh, and hang on to something is all I can tell you because this text is richer than Bill Gates and Warren Buffett combined. I mean, there is some good stuff in here today. And while you're turning there on your tablets or however you read the Bible these days, I'll give you just a little bit of background, and then we're going to jump into this text. So you remember that we had a miraculous uh, feeding of 5,000 people. And when Jesus puts on a potluck, it's the best. Because afterwards, there were 12 basketfuls left over just from where he's breaking bread and passing out fish. Then we talked about the, the going across the water. Mike, you talked about walking on the water. Uh, and not just walking on the water, which, by the way, I, I, you know what I love about that text, Mike? It's almost like Jesus was messing with them because... You know, he decides at 3 in the morning, they're out here just sweating and rowing and trying to get across. They're not making any headway much because of the wind. And it didn't say he was walking to the boat. He was just walking by. He was just like, hey, guys. You know, he was just like going to walk by and go across the lake. And then, of course, they see him, and, and they're afraid at first, you know, and everything that ensues. And then he gets in the boat. They worship him. And then like that, there was another miracle because they went speedboat to the other side, which was incredible. You know, another sign that Jesus is who he says he is. There, and we know from, uh, from Matthew 15 and also Mark 8 that somewhere in this period of time, there was another miraculous feeding of fish uh, and loaves as well. And on that one, there were 4,000 men plus. And then on, they picked up seven baskets full. And we know that Jesus tells his disciples, look, you're still questioning me. How many basketfuls did we pick up? Still trying to get them to understand who he is. So all that's kind of getting us to this point now. Jesus is across the lake. Here comes the crowd again for another meal. And let's dive into verse 25 of John 6. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? And I like it because it's almost like, you know, trying to be kind of casual, like, hey, Rabbi, it's good to see you again. How'd you get here? Like we're not coming around for another meal, right? Because Jesus instantly knows this. Because look at his uh, relation, his, his response to them. Because you know, basically they're saying, when are we going to eat? And Jesus answered, very truly I tell you. And I'm just going to say this here because this is going to come up again and again throughout the text. 
Jason and I argue about this on the podcast, but he's wrong most of the time. So, you know, uh, anyway, uh, very truly, I tell you, I, I take that as a little bit of a, a put out, like a little bit of an agitation. It's like, you know, when you're about to say something and you're a little put out and you say, I tell you what, and then you get it out there, right? I tell you the truth. These people, and then you start into it. I've never said that unless I was a little irritated. And so Jesus is going to say this a lot. I think he's like tired of saying the same thing over and over. That's just me. Very truly, I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. See what his point is? It's not the fact that I miraculously produced the meal. You just want another meal. Only seeing through the physical lens. And here's what Jesus said. Now, look at this verse is packed full of some really rich spiritual stuff. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him, the Son of Man, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Now, there's a lot of rich spiritual thoughts in that one thing. But you know what this crowd, you know what they focused in on? One word, work. They said to him, what must we do to do the works God requires? See that? How they shifted that? Jesus is giving all this rich stuff. I'm going to give you this. The Father approves of me. Listen to me. And then they say, what's the minimum that we can do and still get this free food every day? Basically is what they're saying. They're thinking in a works mentality. Jesus answered, the work of God is this. All right, we're going to go there with work. I'll give it to you real simple. To believe in the one he has sent. That's pithy, right? Simple. And yet, it must be too simple. Because they didn't get it. They followed up with that. What sign then, (laughs) you talk about circular, what sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? What will you do? They tell Jesus. Now, I find this fascinating. As they're having indigestion from the meals of fish and bread, uh, pardon me, Lord, uh, what, 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 will you do a sign? What must you do? What? See, that's the problem with signs. Once you get hooked on them, they're never enough. I mean, you've got to have them again and again and again. i got news for you. If it takes signs for you to believe in a person or an idea, if it takes the signs, you don't really believe. You don't believe in the person or the idea. And that was the problem here. They said, our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written. I love it. I, I think it's some guy named Carl is the spokesman for this group for some reason. I don't know why. It's just some guy standing up. Uh, as it says, it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. They sound so right. But their thinking is so wrong. They're missing Christ. And that's part of the problem. Verse 32. Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, I tell you what? It is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven. Because remember, they didn't believe Moses either. He kept doing the signs, he kept, and they kept grumbling and kept going back against what he told them to do. But he puts it right back on them. It wasn't Moses who gave you the bread. It is my Father who gives you, not gave, gives you, ongoing, the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. What a statement. And here he is. 
So the first thing we see about these people in this text is that the bread of life is attained by faith, not by works and not by signs. The only way you get the bread of life is to believe in the Son of God. Here's the way Paul would put it, Ephesians 2, verse 5. God made us alive, bread of life, see, with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. Grace. And God raised us up with Christ. There's that new birth, that new life. And seated us, seated us now with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. From God's perspective, you're already there. We're just playing out the hand. What an awesome truth. In order that in the coming ages, he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Why are we still here? To experience the grace of God, to live it out in kindness and show other people, to try to get as many people on board as possible. I am. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God given, not worked for, not by works, so that no one can boast. Pretty clear, right? Verse 10, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works. That's not the minimum. That's the maximum. He's already done it. He says he prepared in advance for us to do. I don't say what's the least I can do to be able to engage the bread of life. I've got the bread of life. What can I not do? That's the power of it. And man, has he lined up some good stuff for us to do. See, we only need one sign, and that's the one that points to Jesus. That's the sign, because he's the sign maker. He's the way maker. He's the one we point to. You remember when Jesus was being baptized, and it was that moment where the sign would come to John that this is the Lamb of God. You remember that moment? And this voice says, this is my son, whom I love, and in whom I am well pleased. I mean, that was all we needed to know is that's who Jesus is. It's interesting because in Matthew 17, when he's up on a mountain with Peter, James, and John, and all of a sudden he has a little powwow because Moses and Elijah, by the way, who had been gone from the earth for over a thousand years, show up and they're having a little conversation. They all turn glowing white. They're transfigured. And that voice says again, this is my son whom I love and in whom I'm well pleased. Then he adds one little caveat the second time. Listen to him. That's all we need. I don't have to have more signs to know that. He is the sign. He's all I need. Once you've embraced Christ, you've embraced enough. But our crowd, they're still looking for another meal and another sign. They didn't get it. Look at verse 34, John 6. Sir, always give us this bread. Now that sounds pretty good, right? Sounds like maybe they're coming around. Maybe they got it. Maybe they're understanding who Jesus is, right? Then Jesus declared, or he's going to go direct, I am the bread of life. Just in case we miss this, I am the bread of life. Me. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. It sounds like what he told that Samaritan woman, remember, in John 4. But as I told you, uh-oh, you have seen me and still you do not believe. See, they're saying the right words, but they're not meaning the right words. It's one thing to mouth truth. It's something else to believe and live truth. 
totally different. All those the Father gives me will come to me, and, and catch this phrase, and whoever comes to me I will never drive away. Boy, once you get into the arms of Christ, he's got you. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me. Now, he's just giving them direct good old preaching now. That I shall lose none of those he has given me. Not a one, but raise them up at the last day. Jason made a great point on our podcast uh, last week when he said that Jesus overtook the world. He never fired a shot and he never lost a man. Think about how powerful that is. And you say, well, wait a minute. But he did lose a man. He lost Judas. Nope. Never had him. Judas is like a lot of people. Heard the sermons, saw the signs, walked with Jesus for the three years. And you remember the night before Jesus was to give his life? Judas was at that table, still on the fence, still thinking about what he was going to do versus what he wasn't going to do. And the minute that Jesus told John who he was, who the betrayer was, the Bible says Satan entered him. That's when he made his call the night before. Ruined. He bowed the knee to the evil one. And it cost him everything. When you bow the knee to Jesus, you get everything. Eternal life. You say, well, what about all the apostles? They died, didn't they? Well, they did. They gave their lives, in fact, for the cause of the gospel. I mean, these scared little rabbits turned into men who stood there and took whatever was given them for the cause of the gospel. You know why? You know how? Because they believed they would be raised from the dead again. The resurrection changed everything. Once they saw a risen Lord, it's over. We are all in. That's why in Christ he never loses a one, which is a blessing for us today. We are undefeatable, indestructible, immortal. We, the Spirit is a deposit guaranteeing everything we have to come. What a blessing. Live like that. It will change everything. Verse 40, For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in Him shall have eternal life, and I will raise Him up at the last day. Man, what a statement. That's us. So how did our crowd react to that? Man, they, they had to be happy, right? We can finally get this going. We're going to see this through a spiritual lens. 41. At this, the Jews there began to grumble. Oh, grumble. There's always been grumblers around, right? Man, I know some folks, if, if grumbling was a college degree, they'd have a Ph.D. in grumbling. They're always there, right? And it's because they don't trust. That's the problem. Because they only see through the physical lens. They're not looking at the spiritual picture. They grumbled. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them. Stop grumbling, Jesus told them. And you know what their real problem was? They couldn't see past the physical. Wait a minute. Isn't this Joseph and Mary's son? Isn't, this, isn't that that guy? And he, he said, he said, I came down from heaven. They could not see past the physical. Wasn't he raised in Nazareth? Didn't he, didn't he build stuff? Aren't they, don't they have a carpenter's business? That's all they could see. Jesus is standing there, Son of God. They're not drawn to him. They're not seeking him. They're seeking the next meal. That's how far they're looking ahead. 
the Father draws them, and I will raise them up on the last day. It is written, verse 45, in the prophets, they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard the Father and learned from him comes to me. That's a drawable heart. And let me just tell you, those of you who are saved sons and daughters of God, the fact that you sought him out is why you found him. That's the beginning of everything. And we look at people, and last week we were praying about people that are trying to get their husband or someone in their family to the Lord. They have to be drawn. They have to want to do it. As much as we want to make it happen, and look, trust me, I know, we're praying for so many to get there. You have to trust that they will seek. Because I promise you when they will, they will find. Verse 46, no one has seen the Father except the one who is from God. Only he has seen the Father. Very truly I tell you, I tell you what? The one who believes has eternal life. And then he says it again. I am the bread of life. You think he's trying to get them to get something? It reminds me, Tommy, of the time, I don't know how it was at your house, but when I was growing up, when I would get a whipping, I would get it, I would get the syllable breakdown on this is why you're going to get the whipping. You shouldn't have been there. Right? It was just that, it was a cadence. It was a tone, you know, and you hoped that we got to it quickly. Right? I know people, don't spank anymore, but I learned some lessons from it. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the man in the wilderness and they died. If it's just about a meal, it's not going to last. You get hungry again. They died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. He says it again. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. Uh Uh-oh. He's facing to get wacky. This bread is my flesh, which I give for the life of the world. Flesh. So how did our hungry hypocrites respond to this one? Verse 52. Then they began to argue sharply. So we go on from grumbling to arguing. How can this man give us flesh to eat? You're talking about somebody needs to go to an optometrist because they're only seeing through a physical lens. They still don't get it. They don't understand it. The bread of life is attained by faith in Christ Jesus, but the bread of life is sustained in the literal body of Jesus Christ. He meant what he said. I want you to think about this. They're grumbling and they're arguing about Jesus, and yet here he is, Yahweh, the creator of the cosmos, God who is alone and immortal and unapproachable, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, in a human body, standing before them, saying, I am your answer. That's me, in his flesh, incarnate, in flesh. We have no salvation unless Jesus comes here in flesh and then sacrifices that flesh and that blood for our sins. So literally, the sustenance of the bread of life is in his flesh. He meant what he said. And yet, if you're only looking at it through the physical lens, you miss it. David got it 1,500 years earlier when he said in Psalm 3, 5, By faith, I lie down and I sleep and I wake up because the Lord sustains me. He got it. We even way back then. Paul would say in... Uh, Colossians 1.16, He, Jesus, created all things. He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. In Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. 
Wow. In the body. We had to have the body of Jesus. We had to have him on this earth. We had to have him willing to sacrifice. It was the only way we can get off the planet alive. Paul also said in Colossians, he is the head of the body, the church. And that takes us to our third and final thought. The bread of life is attained by faith, is sustained in his body, but the bread of life is maintained by us. We now are Jesus' body on this earth, all believers, the body of Christ. And that's why he instituted for us to look to the future and say we'll never forget what Christ did for us. Here's the way he closed it out, John six fifty three. Jesus said to them, very truly I tell you, I tell you what, Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. For my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. In other words, this physical manifestation, this is who I am, that brings you life, literally. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in them. Just as the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. Now, these people are mortified because they're only thinking about fish and bread. This is the bread that came down from heaven. He said it again. Your ancestors ate manna and died. He said it again. But whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. It's powerful. Jesus was there at that last Passover meal with his disciples the night before he died. And basically he was saying, you never have to have one of these again because I am the Passover lamb. I have come here to sacrifice myself. I'm also the high priest that, that takes care of the sacrifice. And then I'm going back to the Father. And I'm going to come back to get you. And then he washed their feet. You know why I did that? to show that this is what we're going to look like as we go forward. We're going to love people and we're going to serve people. That was the legacy that our Lord and Savior left us. That's what the body of Christ does. Paul told the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians 11 to always remember the body and blood of Jesus. We did it this morning. We, we partook of his body. We partook of his blood as a remembrance. And we realized that as long as we're on this earth, we now are that body and we maintain the bread of life. We know. We know what to tell people. It's interesting that then Paul sharply rebuked the Corinthian church. You know why? Weren't loving, weren't serving. When they got together, being selfish with one another, grumbling, arguing sharply, missing the point. That was 2,000 years ago. I'm glad we don't do that anymore. Man, how do we miss it? Well, what do you take away from all this? Here's my takeaway. I hear people a lot now saying, and, and I understand why, so I'm not putting that down, but I just I hear people say, you know, 2020, this is the worst year in a generation. or this is, And we're only halfway through. <laughs> They're already saying it, right? And look, I get it. We've got coronavirus, pandemic. We've had riots, we've had protests, we've had division. We've got the specter of a Biden presidency looming, which, by the way, Bill Lanzi just threw up wherever he was just by me saying that. I get it. People are like, man, this is a tough year. 
But you know, I reflected on my own life this week, thinking about this sermon. And I thought, there's been a lot of bad stuff happen. But this isn't the worst year of my life in my generational life. The worst year of my life was when I was looking to my own flesh. And I wasn't looking to the Almighty. When I was living for myself and what I wanted and what I wanted to do. Some of the worst years of my life were when Lisa wasn't where she needed to be and therefore it affected our marriage in such a way we almost lost everything. That was bad. You know why? Because we weren't feasting on the bread of life in those moments. We were looking to ourselves. 2020, man, I just, I see a lot of opportunity. I see a lot of people that are hurting. I see a lot of people searching finally for some answers. And they're not going to find it in causes and politics and all these other places. They're going to find it in the bread of life. And those who eat the bread of life know the answer to give a hurting world. We know that. That's the message we have to put out. That's what we have to tell people. We'll hurt with them and we'll say, man, 2020 was a crazy year. But look at all the people that finally got to their knees and said, you know what? I'm tired of eating bread that's not going to help me. I'm tired of drinking of things that aren't going to bless my life. I need some of the bread of life. That's the power of what we are and who we are. So I just want to challenge you and encourage you as an individual. You may be searching and seeking. And for the first time, you may be finally at the threshold of saying, you know what? The blinders are off. I, I want to be a part of that. I want to be a follower of Jesus. I want to eat that bread. I want to drink that blood. And I want to live forever. That's what you have an opportunity to do today. And you know what? It's not going to take a bunch of work. What, what have I got to do? Believe in the one that was sent. Just say, you know what? I think I'm going to give Jesus a try. And look. The deeper you get into it and the more you follow and the more that blood and sustenance flows through you as it did him, you're going to find this wellspring of blessings you didn't even know were there. It rewires everything. It rewired my life. It rewired my wife's life. And it changed my destiny. It can change yours too. Today is the day to step forward and embrace Christ, the bread of life. What a blessing. So if you have that opportunity and you're ready to do it today, do not wait any longer.